Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right, so we are um, continuing today in our message series called Creed. Uh, this is part eight. Can you believe that? This is probably the longest series that I think we've ever done. It's outside of a book study like uh, the Book of Romans or something. Um, so uh, we have been going through this uh, message series, which is really about understanding why we believe what we do as Christians. And so they're taken from our statements of faith on our church website under the What We Believe page. And so week to week, you can follow along with us. And we're kind of coming to the close now of this series. We have a few more weeks left. Um, And today we're talking about humanity. It's called man, um, but at the risk of, uh, you know, not being inclusive, we're talking about humanity really is what we're talking about here. What does it mean to be um, a human being? Um, and so today, today's uh, message title is God's Image Bearers, God's Image Bearers. Um, last week, we talked about the concept of eternity, you know, the idea of somewhere forever. And so just to refresh our minds uh, for what we talked about last week, this is our statement of faith from last week. It said, this is a man, humanity was created to exist forever. He will exist either eternally separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation. To be eternally separated from God is hell, and to be eternally in union with him is heaven. Heaven and hell are places of eternal existence. And so we said that eternity is really the point of all of eternity is not to focus on what shouldn't be, but instead the point is to return to God's original intent, his original design. That's the point of eternity so that it would all be restored. We would all be restored to our God's original intent and design for, for humanity. And I want to dive into that actually a little bit today because we'll learn about what went wrong and what does that mean for us. So today's message is titled Man, Humanity, God's Image Bearers. And so I want to read our statement of faith about what uh, we believe about humanity. And it says this, man is made in the image of God and is the supreme object of his creation. Man was created to have fellowship with God, but became separated in that relationship through sinful disobedience. And as a result, man cannot attain a right relationship with God through his own effort. Every human personality is uniquely created possesses dignity, and is worthy of respect and Christian love. Today's title of this message is God's Image Bearers. Before we get into the scripture and really diving into the theology and really what it means behind all of this, I wanted to, I started thinking about the concept of image. What is an image? If you look at a photograph, right, it is a representation of something that exists. Um, It tells a story. It reveals something to people. A picture does. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you're seeing an image of yourself, right? And it can it can paint a picture of of uh, beautiful things, but it can also show you flaws or blemishes, right? Um, the concept of an image is a reflection of something and gives insight into what it is you're looking at. And I thought about how uh, in movies or in TV, or maybe you've met somebody uh, and they they pull out their wallet and then flaps out like as a number of like pictures of their family and their kids. Um, or if you go to 
um, to like a grandma's house and there are pictures all over their wall of the images of their family, you know, the legacy of their family, those pictures tell a story, right? And so when we hear the phrase, when our, when our statement of faith says that man is made in the image of God and that this message is called God's image bearers, what we're talking about is, is that when we look at a human being, we are seeing the story of God written in us in various ways, in the way that we, uh, in our personalities, in our capabilities, in the emotions. Um, there are so many different ways that we are representative of who God is uh, in a way. And so that's what we're going to look at today is what does it mean to be an image bearer? And that's going to follow us through the entire message today as we kind of work through our statement of faith, God's image bearers. So what do we believe about man, humanity, and why does it matter? If we tackle the first section of man is made in the image of God and is the supreme object of his creation, where do we get that from? What does that mean? Well, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 30, we'll see kind of the first aspect of this. God had just created the world. He had, uh, in Genesis 1-1, right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless. It was a void, and the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and then he started creating all of these things. And there's a lot of different ways that, you know, we could describe that, a lot of different ways the Bible kind of paints this picture. Um, but when we get to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. And then he kind of goes on to say what they're going to do. They will rule the fish of the sea. They will rule the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the whole earth. They will rule everything and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And then it kind of summarizes in verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and then it repeats it. This is a, this is a technique that's used in Hebrew poetry all the time, is the repetitiveness of uh, where it repeats itself two or three times, and it, and it reinforces that it is truth. That's what, to a reader, they would have known this is absolute truth because of the way that po Hebrew poetry is written. So God created man in, the own, in his own image. He created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. So right away, we see this concept that God's image includes both feminine and masculine characteristics. One is not greater than the other. They are both connected and complementary to each other. Verse 28, God blessed them. So not only did he create them, he blessed them. And he said to them, hey, not only did I bless you to just hang out and be good, I'm going to give you some awesome things to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on earth. And God then looked at him and said, look, I have given you every plant on the surface of the earth, every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife on the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having breath of life in it. I have given every green plant of food, and it was so. What is the point of this passage of scripture? We see a lot right here packed in this is that God created everything and he created man, humanity in the image, in the likeness of God. And then he set it above, set humanity above everything else. We are higher than the trees. We are higher than the birds. We're higher than the animals and the fish. We are the supreme uh, result of God's creation. Man is made in the image of God and is the supreme object of his creation. 
It is the reflection of his character and his attributes. And we have dominion over every creature, over every plant, dominion over it all. And that also brings responsibility. He said to tend the garden, to take care of it. And this is an area that I have gotten really frustrated with over the years growing up because we were so, many Christians are so heaven focused that they didn't take care of the earth that we live in. I actually have heard Christians say things like, what does it matter? We're just going to heaven anyway, right? And that's not the image that we see here in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. God created mankind to be a, to have dominion over and to take care of it, to tend the garden. And, and it said, he called it beautiful. He called it wonderful. And so our object, our responsibility as the supreme object of God's creation is to take care of what we have around us as sort of an example, as an leader, as an ambassador of God to his creation. Man is made in the image of God and is the supreme object of his creation. But obviously, we know that something went wrong, right? We know that something went dramatically wrong. Our next part of our statement of faith says this, man was created to have fellowship with God. We see that in the Garden of Eden, that, that they were just walking together. There was this seamless conversation and connection, was created to have fellowship with God, but became separated in that relationship through sinful disobedience. And as a result, man cannot attain a right relationship with God through his own effort. We're not going to read it, but if you were to turn to Genesis chapter 3, we see the story of the fall of humanity, right? We have, we have Adam and Eve who are just enjoying the fruit of the garden. They're, they're having a blast. They just named all the creatures on the earth, and, and they're just, could you just imagine that? Like, imagine like any movie that has the most lush, gorgeous paradise and just walking around and enjoying it. If you're like me and you, um, you know, if, if on like your uh, Google Chromecast, like screensaver that has just incredibly beautiful scenery, or if you're looking at postcards of like travel blogs that you see from people and you're just like, oh my gosh, amazing. Like that only a drone can get to fly up to that height and see the angles. Imagine being Adam and Eve in just paradise, like around every single corner, right? When Genesis chapter three comes along, we read about how there is a temptation that comes that sin in the form of the serpent that we know of as, as Satan comes and tempts them and says, you know, God really doesn't have the best in mind for you. He's really just lying to you. He's really doesn't want you to be like him. He made you in his image, but you're only that. You're only an image. You could really be a God. You could be your own God if you just eat from this fruit. Now, whether or not you believe that that fruit was a literal fruit or if the fruit was a record, uh, like a symbol or a, um, like a, a metaphor for, a, for, for the concept of sin, regardless, the point is the same that the temptation arose to become our own master, our own God. And in that, when they ate the fruit, they became separated. They became, their innocence was lost. They became, they understood something that was not meant for them to be there. They were, they were blissfully ignorant, if you will, but then became, their eyes were open. The wool was pulled away from their eyes now, and they could see clearly that something that was never meant for them, sin became born in their, into their lives. And that caused them to be forever separated. We know that God is a holy God. We know that God is a just God, a righteous God. 
And that now because of sin that he cannot be connected to it. So he had to separate himself out from that space. And we have lived in the consequences ever since. And it had a dramatic effect on our image. Imagine for a second, or if you've ever seen like a really old photograph, and if you ever, and if you've ever uh, seen like an old photograph in a museum, or maybe even discovered an old family photo that is kind of warped and blurry, maybe the color has faded off of it, it's difficult to see maybe some of the details. This is what began to happen to the image, to our image, over time, because of uh, because of sin. In the Book of Romans chapter one talks about what it was like for us as human beings because of the fall of man. You can see this Genesis chapter three reflected in Romans chapter one, and we're going to read this, this kind of somewhat hefty section, but you're going to begin to see what it was like, what the image of us has happened, what it means for us. Romans chapter one, verse 21, it says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. And instead, their thinking became worse, worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. This is the effect of sin now. Like, imagine a mirror and the lights growing dim, the light of God. Like, if you're in a room and the lights above you are God's presence, but God has separated himself now because of sin. The sin radiating out of us is distorting the light, or the light is being removed away. Now you're looking in the mirror, and it's, and it's becoming dark. It's hard to see. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. And if you bring it into modern categories and their jobs and their paychecks and their computers and their clothes and their cars and their neighborhoods and their houses and their, and their, their gates and the celebrities that we worship and their sports teams. Can you see the picture here of the idolatry and how it began to seep into our hearts? Verse 24 Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And if you skip down to verse 28, and it says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, that's been the concept ever since the garden, God has been revealing himself, and we have been tempted further and further away to not acknowledge God and to instead make ourselves God. What did God do? He delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not know what is right, and they don't do what is right. They are filled and I want to just—I want you to close your eyes here as I read this list, and I want you to think about the news that you watch. I want you to think about the 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 highlights you, the notifications you get on your phone every day. Listen to this: They have been given over to a corrupt mind. They are filled with all unrighteousness, with evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. 
you guys can open your eyes. That is such a such a stark contrast to what we see described in the garden. We start off as in the image of God, the likeness of God, the reflection of the beauty and the wonder and the character of who God is holy and perfect and, and, and filled with love and goodness reflected in each of our personalities and reflected in our preferences and our desires and our and the way that we look and just the, the skin tone that we have and the way that our hair falls and the way that our ears are shaped and all of these different pieces are, are unique representations of God's creativity and, and his ingenuity. We see all of that and we are the, the supreme element of his creation. That's what it says. And then we go a few thousand years down the road and look how far the mighty have fallen. Look at what's happened to his people because of that one act, because of our temptation, our willingness to want to be our own gods, the disobedience and thinking that we know better. It just became this slope that we've fallen into a pit and the image of God in us has become distorted. It is still there. The image of God is still there. We still have dignity. We still possess that creativity and we see it in the ingenuity. That's why we can look out into our world and we can see beautiful artistry and architecture. That's why we see good acts done by, by people who are into social justice. That's why goodness still exists in the world because God has not removed himself completely because we are still made in his image. But we are have forgotten who we are. We have mismanaged the image that we are. We have abused it to where it is now morphed and it is distorted. And our and humanity has been degenerating ever since that time, growing more and more and more distant from God. It reminds me of the character Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. There's a passage in the in the movie. I'm, I'm not positive if it's in the in the book itself. I wasn't able to look that up, but I found a quote from the movie from The Return of the King. And this is what Gollum says about himself. And I think it's so poignant about what we're talking about here, how we have forgotten. He says, they curse us. Murderer, they call us. They curse us and they drove us away. And we wept, precious. We wept to be so alone. And we forgot the taste of bread, the sound of trees, the softness of the wind. We even forgot our own name, my precious. And I think, well, if you know the story of the Lord of the Rings, Gollum started off just like Frodo, just like Sam. He was, he was a kind of a hobbit type creature. He was normal, but was overtaken by a temptation and a desire and then was corrupted by the presence of the ring for hundreds of years to where he forgot who he was. It distorted the image of what he was and it fractured his mind. This is an illustration of what happens to us as people, of what humanity, what has happened to humanity. We are helpless. We live in a world that is full of atrocities. That is the state of humanity, is that we are a people that are consciously aware and even are, are unable to stop ourselves at times from doing things that are destructive to ourselves and to other people as a result of mismanaging what God gave us to do. It's all a result of our brokenness and our choices that we make outside of our relationship with our creator. And it has degenerated us. We have forgotten who we are. And because sin has kept us prisoner, we are helpless to restore the relationship with God. And so God acted. God acted. He did something. 
Romans chapter five, verses five, verses six, it says, for while we were still helpless, while we were still prisoners to our sin, while we were still helpless and unable to do anything to restore our relationship with God at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, right? Humanity, the image of God, created to be like God, to be like the, a beautiful image of what it meant to be in relationship with God. The supreme aspect of creation, the supreme creation. Death came through that man, so the resurrection of the dead also comes through one man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. We see here that the plan to restore creation was set in motion from the very moment of the fall. It wasn't like God was like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I just don't know how to fix this problem immediately as soon as it's like it's like the parent who's watching their child do something don't do it don't do it don't do it and as soon as it happens immediately they go but they know exactly what they have to do god began to set in motion the plan to restore humanity sin and death entered through one man but life and resurrection and restoration comes through one man through Jesus Christ man is made in the image of god he is the supreme object of his creation man was created to have fellowship with god but became separated in the relationship through sinful disobedience and as a result man cannot attain a right relationship with god through his own effort. We have forgotten who we are and who we were meant to be, and there's nothing we can do about it outside of Jesus. But every human personality is uniquely created. It all possesses dignity, and everyone is worthy of respect and Christian love. Why? Why, if we are so distorted, if the image of God is so, like, just so broken, and then and, and we are so far from God, how is it that we could still have dignity? How is it that we still pray for our enemies, like Jesus said? Where does that come from? It links back to the beginning of that we are the supreme element of God's creation. But look what it says in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. We can see that despite all of the horrible things that we have done, the horrible aspects of humanity, the world that we have that we've created for ourselves, the terrible space that we live in, the darkened nature of our hearts, despite all of that, how does God still feel about us? Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 says, When I observe your heavens... And the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. What is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. He's like asking this question, like, why the heck do you still care? You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over everything that your hand produced and you put everything under his feet it says you made him a little less than God. Like that's, that's huge. Like, like we are like the supreme nature of God's creation. Like we are the apex. We are exactly what God wanted to create. And just because we screwed up doesn't mean that he feels any differently about us. In Ephesians chapter two, 
verses four and five. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, thank God, because of his great love. We sang that song, your great love, right? This concept, his great love that he had for us made us alive. His, because of his great love and his great mercy, he made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And then we see again in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to your friends. Don't treat each other like this is a practical thing. Don't lie to another person. Don't hurt another person since you have put off the old self with its old practices. We heard today, right, that we are made a new creation in, uh, in, our, in our call to worship, that God has restored all things. He's made all things new, and he has made us a new creation in Christ. So since you are a new creation, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being what? Renewed in knowledge according to what? The image of your creator. We are being renewed. The, the distorted image of God that started in the Garden of Eden, right? The image of God. We were made in the likeness of God. Look at the pattern that's happening here. Look and see the progression. And then in Romans 1, it talks about how that image has been distorted, how that image has been broken, how we have forgotten who we are. And God set it right through Jesus Christ and says, you are now being renewed according to the image of your creator. God is peace by peace. The Holy Spirit that lives with inside of us as we align ourselves every day with his tenets and his principles. As we do that, we begin to wipe off the mirror and we allow to clear the dust. Have you ever seen like a really darkened window that's all nasty? You start to clean it off and the light shines in more, that's what's beginning to happen. When in Romans 1, it says that the, the heart is darkened, it's like the window, like it had soot and nastiness over it, like it had just gross stuff, like blocking God's light. But as we clean it out, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies and begins to clean out and it opens the light up, the light of God is coming in. And as we do that, we become more like Jesus, the image of God, the, the perfect image of what it is to be like Jesus and all of his attributes lived out in its fullness, like in a good way. That's creativity being used for good. That's, that's, that's kindness and generosity. That's love. All of that is being restored here. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And then he goes on to say that in Christ, there is no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised, there's no uncircumcised, there's no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free, but Christ is all in all. What does that mean? What it's saying here is that the image of God is being restored in each one of us. We've been given glory. We've been given honor, it says. That means there's an immense value on it. God doesn't create something and then just, eh, like we have been created as the apex of his creation with immense value. And because of his great love for us, we see there's an inherent value. There's an inherent dignity, not just in, in, in those of us who are already Christians, but what did it say that Christ died for those who are still dead in their trespasses? If we had no dignity, if we had no value, he wouldn't have done it. And then he goes on to say no Greek or no Jew, no all these categories. He's saying there are no differences between us. Our personalities, our experiences, our cultures, etc. All of that stuff makes us unique. It's all valuable. It's all worthy of love. A person from, from Syria, the person from the United States, the rich person or the poor person, the person with brown hair, the person with red hair, the person with an English accent, the person with an American accent. 
the person who is a male, the person who's a female, the one who's born with a disability, the one who's, who's not had a disability. There are so many different aspects. The one who's analytical, the one who is creative, the one who's an artist, the one who's a statistician. Like every single person is created uniquely, possesses dignity, and is worthy of respect and Christian love because God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love that he had for us made us alive. And while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why does this all matter? Why does it matter? I mean, it's obviously a tenet of our faith that we understand that without Jesus Christ, there is no way for us to be restored to the image of God, like in its fullness. There is no relationship with God anymore. And then we learned last week that that results in eternal separation from God. We know that's true, but why does it matter practically? Here's what I would say. It's because it helps when we understand who we are, when we understand the image of God and how we are the bearers of his image, when we have wiped off the glass, or more, more aptly, when the Holy Spirit has wiped off the glass, as, as the death of Jesus Christ and his blood cleans us, right? It says makes us white as snow. When we do that, we are becoming more of what it means to, to look like Jesus, to be restored so that people can see it. People have forgotten we were the Romans one people. That's what we were before Jesus. And we're becoming more and more and more like the Ephesians and the Colossians people, the ones who are restored to the image of God, our creator. But those people are still out there, the lost who are still out there, the golems of the world, the ones who know nothing, but they have forgotten themselves. God uses us so that they can see him. It's so important for us to see how we have been restored, how the image of God is reflective in us in the unique way that he's created you. Even for gifts and your strengths and your desires, all of those kinds of things. But even more so as Christians, now we have the ability to help others see them as God sees them. God doesn't see them as messy. God doesn't see them as, as worthless because God sent his son Jesus while they were still in that state, while we were still in that state. And so part of our responsibility now as followers of Jesus is to, is to affirm dignity, is to affirm uh, creativity, is to affirm uniqueness, is to affirm personality and their experiences and their culture, and to, and to affirm those things so that others would know that, that they are reflective of God, that God loves them, that he created them, that he sent Jesus to them. And it also, I think, should serve to remind us that we need to treat other people properly. I think it's important for us to, to make sure that we are treating people with dignity, not just helping them see that they are, that they are valuable, but particularly that, that that's why Jesus said in the golden rule, right? In, he, in Matthew, he said, do to others like you want to be treated. We need to treat people with dignity. We need to treat people as though they're valuable. And when we do that, we all, we all, we respect God's creation. It's important for us to know that people cannot come back to Je come back to God without Jesus, but no one's going to even want to know who Jesus is. No one's going to want to know anything. If we don't reflect the goodness of who he is, that means that the way that we talk to people, that means the way that we treat people, the way that we spend our money, how we, how we take care of people. And it might open up opportunities. It might, if nothing else, just if, if they know that we are God's image bearers and we reflect Jesus, even if they don't come to know him immediately, it might dull their angst or their anger or their frustration with other Christians or with God himself. It's important for us 
to be the appropriate image bearers of God. Man is made in the image of God and is the supreme object of his creation. Man was created to have fellowship with God, but became separated in that relationship through sinful disobedience. And as a result, man cannot attain a right relationship with God through his own efforts. Every human personality is uniquely created, possesses dignity, and is worthy of respect and Christian love. Man is God's image bearers. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us and have not forgotten us, even though as humans we have forgotten who we are, who we have been created to be, what the world was supposed to be like. We are so far from it, we cannot attain it on our own. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us enough and being so kind and full of grace and mercy, that ocean of mercy that you sent your son Jesus to make a way to restore us into relationship with you so that the image would not be distorted anymore. I pray that each one of us today would see the value of of ourselves, not in a selfish, vain way, but in a way that would truly um, know that we are loved. I think some of us struggle with things like self-esteem and identity. And part of it, I, I believe, is because of a fractured, distorted image. We see ourselves through a broken mirror. But God, would you open our eyes to see who we truly are? You're created. You're loved. The one who is set apart as the supreme of all creation. That means we're more beautiful than the most sparkling lake. We're stronger and and more majestic than the tallest mountain. Would you show each of us that our potential is greater than the vastness of the universe? Like you set us above all things in value, in glory, and in honor. And we have forgotten it. And sometimes we, we malign ourselves. We treat our, we, we, we act as though we are worthless. We act as though we are, are not worthy of love. And we carry around guilt and shame. And those things are not for us. You've crowned us with glory, and yet we've taken our crown off and willingly put it on the ground and just instead covered ourselves in mud and dirt. But through Jesus Christ, we have been made clean and set on a throne as co-heirs with Jesus. That's what your word says. Would you help us to see that? And not just see it and understand it theologically, but that it would take root inside each one of us so that we would see ourselves that way. We would now look in the mirror that has been restored and instead see ourselves as children of God, loved, worthy of death on a cross for it. I thank you for it. Pray that you'll bless uh, the rest of our time together this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.